Welcome to Your AHA Life, the podcast for high achievers who want more for their lives, more joy, more purpose, and more fulfillment. I'm your host, Tanya Harris Cornelius. I believe wholeheartedly that you don't have to choose between career success and personal fulfillment. You can have both. In each episode, I will provide stories of insight and inspiration to help you craft the life you dream of living, your AHA life. Let's get started. Hi, welcome back to Your AHA Life. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Tanya Cornelius, I'm the host, and uh, I have a really good show. For the past three episodes, I've actually had a guest with me, and that was so much fun to just get used to, first of all, uh, having uh, someone else to talk to on this show. But today I'm, I'm running it solo, and you know what, it feels kind of good. I have a really good topic for us. I am talking about aha moments. And as you know, this is all about your aha life. So of course, I'm going to talk pretty frequently, I guess, about aha moments. But today, I'm going to give you 10 incredibly practical, but life-changing aha moments. At least that's what they were for me. And I even have two bonus ones at the end. So buckle up, join me, and uh, it's gonna be fun. Before I jump into these incredible, these unbelievable, but hugely practical aha moments and the ahas that came out of them, um, I want to start with a quote. Of course, by now, you know, I love quotes and I have a quote from the queen of aha moments, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah said, you can't have an aha unless you already knew it. So the aha is a remembering of what you already knew, articulated in a way to resonate with your own truth. Now, I mean, just let that sink in for a moment and leave it to Miss Winfrey to give us this very deep and profound truth about ahas. And I totally agree with her. Here's my simplified version because I'm the simple one. I say ahas are our inner knowing made visible, our inner knowing made visible. We already know this stuff. It is like wisdom that is locked inside us. And we just need a moment. We need something that unlocks it. And then we say, aha, now I get it. This sudden revelation of aha moments You've heard about them throughout history. Some of our greatest um, scientific, technological advancements came out of aha moments and the insights, the ahas that came from them. But you may recall the legend of Sir Isaac Newton. Sir Isaac Newton was sitting under the apple tree. And upon seeing the apple fall from the tree, he suddenly had a discovery, and out of it came the law of gravity. 
That's how powerful aha moments are and the ahas, the insights that come from that. So it's obvious that I believe in ahas, my personal website, even this podcast, my private Facebook community, the aha community, they're all named after this term, used to articulate unexpected and welcomed insights that help us lead enlightened lives. I believe aha moments are the catalyst for raising our consciousness. They provide us with tremendous insights that we are able to use to solve problems that we face, discover new things about ourselves, about others, and the world that we live in. Ahas are also there. They sometimes help us to expose deeply held beliefs that we have to really unearth assumptions that we make and we take as, take for granted or we take them as givens, and even to identify false interpretations that we have. And ahas are there to help us to overcome any challenges or setbacks that we might face. So yeah, I believe in aha moments and the ahas uh, that come from them. And if we just pay attention to them, if we just pay attention to them, they can guide us through a lot. So I thought it would be really great to go through some of the ahas that I have experienced in my life. And I'm so thankful for for these ahas and, and many others that I don't have time today to even go through because I'm continuing to have them. And I know that you are as well. So. I'm going to cover off for you, I said 10, but they're actually going to be 12 practical ahas that honestly, I wish that I had learned sooner in life, but I'm just so glad I learned them. And when you hear them, I think you will agree. For each of the ahas, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what the aha is, and I've worded them in quotes or statements that you will know. You will have heard them or seen them before, um, but they will resonate with you, I'm pretty sure. And so then I will explain it to you a little bit. And for some of them, I wish I could do it for all. I can't do it for all or I'd be here, you know, for quite some time. Uh, but I'll tell you kind of the backstory in my life of why that aha is um, resonates with me and, and how I came to learn that. And then I'll leave you with a quote um, for each of the ahas. So I want to jump in. The first one is change is the only constant in life. And I say here, whether a thing is good or whether it is bad. Don't get too fixated on it because it's going to change. Our best remedy for this is just to be present in the moment and learn to be adaptable. For me, I am someone, I'm an ISTJ, that's a Myers-Briggs language. The J in that Myers-Briggs language stands for someone who really likes order, likes routine, likes to be able to control their external environment. And so I've been one that likes to have things predictable. I'm a to-do list person. 
map it out, plan it out, all of that. And I've had to learn over time to be more adaptable and to understand that the best laid plans can get really thrown out of the window very quickly. And so this, this truth, this truth, which is what ahas are, deeply embedded within us that we bring to our consciousness is something that I always remember that Tanya, you can have the greatest plans, but you have to be flexible. You have to be adaptable because change really is the only constant in life. And so Heraclitus, a um, Greek philosopher, um, pre-Socratic philosopher said this quote, the only constant in life is change. And I agree. My second one, the second aha, is asking for help is a sign of strength. So often, and sometimes particularly in our society, in our Western society, I know here in the United States, you know, people are, oh, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Um, you know, I did it my way, or I did this all by myself. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I have now lived long enough to know that we accomplish nothing of great significance alone. And I am an introvert by nature. So that's the I in the Myers-Briggs is, you know, I get my energy from going inward. And I can um, I can be comfortable in solitude for, for quite a bit. And in, in the work environment and in, even in home life, I can spend time alone and be very comfortable in that space. But asking for help is not a sign of weakness. And I say here, it takes a wise and humble person to ask for help. We all need help from others at different times in our lives. It's the strong person who understands her limits and knows when to call in reinforcement. We were never meant to navigate this life alone. And that is so true. And I'll be very vulnerable with you. Um, after being married uh, 21 years, I got a divorce. And so I was very accustomed to always having a helpmate there for 21 years minimum, you know, and then all of a sudden I, after the, after the divorce, I was kind of on my own and I was trying to figure out, first of all, do I know how to take care of myself? And secondly, you know, what about little things that come up around the house around this? I had never really had to deal with that. And so I thought initially, I've got to figure this stuff out. I got to do this. You know, I got to be able to take care of myself. I got to be able to handle all of the, the things that might happen around the home. And then I said, time out. No, I don't. That's what they pay people for. And my ex-husband and I, thank God we are friends. I can actually ask him for help when I need it, when we need help with the kids or whatever. So I just learned through life experience that when we try, when we erroneously think we have to do something alone, we really don't. And it is the strong person that asks for help. Um, it is, yeah, it's the strong person. And so I love this quote, and it's by Les Brown. He says, ask for help, not because you are weak, but because you want to remain strong. And so that was um, aha number two for me.
Aha number three, trust your intuition and it will become louder. I read this somewhere before and it really stuck with me. And I said, yes. So, you know, I keep going to this Myers-Briggs thing. This was not planned uh, as I think about it, but the S in Myers-Briggs is sensing, means senses. Like, you know, I like to take in data that I can touch, feel, see, you know, the five senses. But it's the sixth sense, the intuition, that I have not always relied upon or not always trusted. And so even when that still small voice would come to me, I wouldn't know what to do with it because I needed to see, well, what were the facts and the the objective data around something to make a decision. And as more and more I am learning that it is that still small voice, it is that intuition, and the more we listen to it, the louder it becomes for us. And the thing about the intuition is it doesn't lie. You know, we always talk about, oh, I wish I had gone with my gut. That's your intuition. And so you probably have learned this lesson too, to trust your intuition and it will become louder. So for that, I say, the whisper of the inner wisdom will not compete with the louder voices in our ears, the voices on the outside, the voices of everything else, the data, the, the you know, family members, the friends or whomever. The inner wisdom will not compete with those louder voices. It will wait its turn because love does not insist on its own way. It's there for us when we're ready. And the more we turn to her, the more we'll recognize the sound of her voice. So the quote that I have for this is by Jiddu Krishnamurti. Intuition is the whisper of the soul. How is this resonating with you? I hope that you, we've gone through three already, and I hope that you can identify with those uh, in your own life. I bet you can with at least one or, or all of them. Um, so we're on to number four, the fourth aha. And this one takes me all the way back to second grade, but let me tell you what it is. You can't please everyone, so stop trying. So I have a story. My mother taught me in second grade. Um, so, wow, that's one thing to have your mother as, as, as your teacher. Um, and sometimes she was harder on me than anybody else, of course. But I remember this so clearly. We were in the cafeteria and it was a good day. It was a great day because we had chocolate cake on the menu and chocolate cake was my favorite. I loved chocolate cake. And so sitting at the cafeteria table, you know, all the students around, my mother sat as the teacher at the head of the table. And just as I was about to um, dig into my chocolate cake after I had eaten my lunch, a girlfriend of mine, now she's already a friend, I already knew her, but she said, if you give me your cake, I'll be your friend. And I could have like, oh my gosh, no, she didn't just ask for my chocolate cake. 
my favorite dessert. But there I was, sliding my cake toward her. And then I heard this voice from the head of the table saying, Eat your cake. It was my mom. I was kind of embarrassed that she heard the whole exchange, but I was also so grateful she heard that exchange because I got to keep my cake and I got to eat it. And the friend, Deborah is her name, we grew up to be best friends and we're great friends even to this day. But it shows you how willing. I wa- how willing I was to give up something that I loved just so that I could somewhat guarantee that someone was going to like me or be my friend in that case. And I grew up a little bit of a people pleaser. And I said, you know, I wanted people to like me. I wanted to know that I could make people happy And that is still with me a little bit today in a healthier state. So I still want people to like me. Of course, nobody wants to be hated. But my work now is really helping people become the best that they can be. And I get great joy and satisfaction out of that. But as a child and even as a teenager and even into college, it was an unhealthy mix of that, that I wanted to please people so much. One day I realized that I couldn't please people, and that was not even my job anyway. So I learned to focus on what is best for me and what makes me happy. And when I am happy and whole and healthy and taking care of myself, then I can be a great friend, a great partner, great manager, great leader to to others. And so that was really an aha that Oh, I'm so glad I learned that. I can't tell you I learned it in second grade, but the second grade example always comes back to me. So here's the quote. I can't tell you the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everyone. That's by Ed Sheeran. And then there's one more that I added, two quotes for this one because I love this so much. Stop trying to make everyone happy. You're not chocolate. (laughs) That's by an unknown. At least I couldn't find the name of who wrote that, but so true, so true. So let's switch. Number five. Number five, you're not a leader if no one is following. I have a great story for this as well. It's the egoist who believes he's a leader simply because of title or position. People may comply, but they won't willingly follow. A person can lead, however, without any title, without the position, or without any formal authority. Because learning to serve others is the greatest act of leadership. So I say I learned this as a middle school teacher fresh out of college. And so here's the story. I was a brand new teacher. Now, mind you, I had not really gone to school to teach. I had gotten a degree in in broadcast media, broadcast journalism, but um, I ended up teaching my first year out of college uh, in the state of Florida. We have had something that was like an alternative certification route, and there was a shortage of teachers 
at the time that I came out. And so they were hiring um, gra- you know, college grads. And based on your transcript, they kind of uh, aligned you to what disciplines you could actually teach while you work on your teaching certification. So that's what I did. And I was teaching English and, and literature at middle school. And the principal had come in to do my observation and assessment. And my students were unruly. And I was trying to get them to read, be nice and calm and look like they were on task and all of this, but they weren't having it. And so what did I do? I raised my voice to them. I like yelled at them, yelled at them. And you know what? They looked at me like I was crazy, number one, but they didn't really even comply. They didn't, it didn't even shock them. And the principal just got up and left. So that's my story. That's a story. I mean, there are other examples I could have given in in my walk, in my leadership walk, but I have learned. I have learned. And I teach people now to be really great leaders. And it's something that I love doing and it's important to me. But I learned that you are not a leader just because you have a title or a position. I wasn't a leader just because I was the teacher of that classroom, of those of those young children. You know, you're a leader when others will follow, will willingly follow you. And here's the Afghan proverb to that. If you think you are leading and no one is following you, then you're only taking a walk. I love that. So number six, I'll go quickly. The decisions determine the quality of your life. Your decisions determine the quality of your life. If you look up and you don't like your lot in life, then trace back to your decisions. If you look up and you love your lot in life, then trace back to your decisions. Every decision we make has a consequence. So make good decisions. I do recognize that not every circumstance is a reflection of a choice, that sometimes people are in circumstances by no choice of of their own. And um, so that is not what I'm getting at. But I'm saying for those of us who can garner our lives, um, that the choices that we make, and even if if a person has been in dire circumstances, because we have plenty of examples where people grew up out of really, really horrific situations, trauma, abuse, um, poverty, and really went on to do quite incredible, live incredible lives. I mean, Oprah Winfrey, who I quoted at the very beginning, is a prime example of that. So what I say here is we don't always get to choose our circumstances. That's true but we can always choose, or mostly we can choose how we will respond. This is a lesson that I've tried to teach my children from, I don't know, from the time that they could speak and I thought that they might even understand. And it's also something that I try to lead by example with. And here's the quote, decisions are the frequent fabric of our daily design. Let me say that again, because I kind of messed that up. Decisions are the frequent fabric of our daily design. And that's by Don Yeager. Number seven, we're almost there. Number seven, more than anything else, 
It's death that teaches us to appreciate life. Memento mori is a Latin phrase. It's, it's Stoics use this phrase a lot, but it means remember death. Memento mori. The inevitability of death can lead to morbid thoughts and even fear, or it can inspire you and inspire an appreciation for life and give you the determination to live each day to the fullest. And that's the effect that it has had on me. I remember when my mother died, I was a junior in college. This is 37 years ago or so. And also when my one of my closest childhood friends just died recently um, in April, um, it just dawned on me that that's how I respond, is that their death, while I mourn and, and grieve and I'm sad, um, I also rejoice, one, because I know they're in a better place, and two, that I know if they could say anything to me, it would be to live your life to the fullest, live to the fullest. And so knowing that tomorrow is not promised to any of us, the present moment, this moment right here, right now is all that we have. So, you know, I've learned to cherish it and to make it count. And it says to love life is to lose the fear of death. And so Angelina Jolie has a really great quote that I have for this. It says, there's something about death that is comforting. The thought that you could die tomorrow frees you to appreciate your life now. I really love that. I'm going to power through and go to number eight. The purpose of life is not happiness, but meaning. So Aristotle said, happiness is the meaning and purpose of life, the whole aim and end of human existence. And though I think he's a wise philosopher, I don't agree with that because I believe that our soul yearns for more than happiness. We want to know deep down inside that we matter and that the world is a little better off because we're in it. And so if you think about the great leaders, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, happiness was not their agenda. Happiness did not compel them. Making a difference in the lives of others did. Meaning did. So we gain fulfillment through meaning. It's one of the core foundations of this aha life. So the quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, I love, love, love this quote. He says, the purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. So we're on aha number nine, and I'm going to go pretty quickly with, with uh, these last remaining ones. They're important as well. Um, questions are fateful. It says, we move in the direction of our questions. 
that's why it matters what questions we're asking of ourselves and what questions we're asking of others. Questions have energy, positive or negative. They create destiny. I discovered this through my own work as doing this technique called appreciative inquiry, where we inquire into a situation using strengths-based questions. We're looking at the strengths because we believe that strengths yield greater positive energy, which yields greater possibilities, positive energy, creativity, and innovation. And so that work um, tells me that questions are fateful. We move in the direction of what we're asking about. And so there's a great quote here. Godwin Lashweo says, questions are fateful. They determine destinations. They are the chamber through which destiny calls. And then number 10, so, so important, number 10. Number 10 is you are enough. What an aha, what an insight, what a lesson to learn in life. And the sooner we learn that, the better. We spend so much of our lives believing that we are inadequate, that we don't have what it takes, that we are not as smart as or as pretty as or as talented as someone else, whoever this someone else is that we might be comparing ourselves to. And so wherever that lie came from, just as you accepted it, you can reject it because you weren't born with that lie. You always have been, I always have been, and we always will be enough. We are enough. And once we know that truth, that's a game changer. And Maya Angelou says, you alone are enough. You have nothing to prove to anybody. Love that. Love that woman. So before I close, there are two additional ones that kind of just percolated for me, and I was going to add them, but I tried to keep it at a very neat 10, but they won't go away. So I'm going to just mention them to you anyway. And so I would say 11 is that sharing is an act of kindness, and it's also a gift that you give yourself. Sharing is an act of kindness, and it's also a gift that you give yourself. And I love this Swedish proverb that says, shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half sorrow. So having someone there to share is a gift that you're actually giving yourself. Shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half sorrow. And the last one, number 12, is on forgiveness. For me to forgive is an act of self-care and a recognition of humanity. For me to forgive is an act of self-care and a recognition of humanity. You don't forgive for the other person. You forgive so that you can release that negative energy from yourself and that you can move on with a clear conscience, a clear heart, clear mind. And so that was something that I learned um, in in my life. There are specific examples. I'll have to maybe cover them another time. 
but the great aha that I was not doing it for the betterment of the other person who I felt might have wronged me. I was doing it for myself to release that negative energy so that I could move on. And here's the quote again by Maya Angelou. And she says, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself to forgive. Forgive everybody, she says. So that's it. The top 10 plus two, the top 12 ahas that you might have wished you had learned you know, earlier in life, um, I think they are incredibly practical, but they can change your life once you know those truths. So I just at leave you with this question. What are your own ahas? What ahas have you discovered? And what were the moments that led to them? It's important that you know them, that you bring those to your consciousness and keep those to your consciousness. Write them down. Aha moments and the insights that they gift us with are like lanterns on our pathway of what would otherwise be a dark and sometimes lonely, but certainly mysterious journey. And once you have an aha, it transfers from your unconscious to your conscious, and it helps you to lead a more enlightened life, your aha life. Thank you so much for listening to all of this. Join me back in a couple of weeks for a brand new episode. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. Come back again for another episode that will inspire you to live the life you dream about and the life you are meant to live. I'm Tanya Harris Cornelius, and this is your aha life.